The scripture reading today will be Genesis 16, verses 13 through 16. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram his son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Good morning. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Genesis in the 16th chapter. Chapter 16 of the book of Genesis is where we are going to be taking the thoughts of our study this morning. We're grateful for those who are here with us and the opportunity that we have to be together to worship our God as we have done so this morning. This is a special morning for many of you because we give honor and thanksgiving for our mothers today. And I think that is an appropriate thing. It's, an, it's a biblical thing. As we're going to look at this morning from the text of Scripture, that even God, He sees mothers and your role, the special role that you have. And He sees you in your life as a mother. He sees you and He appreciates that role that you have taken on and as we have seen in the book of Genesis in the 16th chapter, as we have just read in that reading this morning, this is the context in which Hagar, the bondservant of Sarah and Abram, that Hagar has learned that she is pregnant with Abraham's son, Ishmael. And because of this, we'll talk some more about it, but... Sarah has grown envious and she has begun to treat Hagar poorly. And so Hagar left. And as a result of this, she has an encounter with the Lord. And she says in verse 13, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here? After seeing him. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lehi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And that name, Bir Lehi Roy, it means the well of the living one who sees me. The angel of Yahweh appeared to Hagar, not to Abraham, not to Sarah, but to Hagar, a slave who had been abused and misused. And God told Hagar to return to Sarah and to submit to her authority, which may seem somewhat harsh, but the Lord was promising to bless Hagar and her son that would be born. And as Hagar left, she calls the Lord the Lord who sees. That you are a God who sees. You think about that. That could invoke some fear in many of us, isn't? couldn't it? That God sees everything that we do, that God knows everything that we think, and that He sees me. 
that instead of invoking fear, I'm persuaded that it should invoke comfort for us, as we will see, especially in the case of Hagar, that the Lord wanted to be a source of strength for Hagar, even in a situation where she had been sorely misused God saw her. God took notice of her. And God became, became a great comfort to Hagar because he saw her. This morning, mothers, the same God that spoke to Hagar is the same God who sees you. The fact that God sees us, it should not induce anxiety or worry or stress. God seeing you in your work as a mother should be come a source of strength and a source of comfort to you. Because in the context of Genesis chapter 16, what we see is that Hagar is someone who was being afflicted. In this example of Hagar, she was used by Abram and Sarah. In the opening of chapter 16 of Genesis, in chapter 16 in verse 1, it says, Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So you have this situation where Sarah, she is blaming God that the Lord has prevented me from having children, is what she says. And then she says, Abram, you go and you sleep with my handmaid, Hagar. And after Abram listens to the voice of his wife, does what she says, then she became upset and blamed Abram. In verse 5, it says, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. And this is not just my fault now. Now it's your fault too. See, husbands, there's a no-win situation. Just don't even think about it. She begins to blame Abram. And then, of course, she blames Hagar. In verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. In verse 6, it says, But Abram said to Sarai, but Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Here, this is not a flattering picture, is it, for Abraham and Sarah, people that we would think of as having great faith. Here they are completely and entirely in the wrong. For the plan that they have tried to self-will and self-propel, and how they treated Hagar, in which Abraham is entirely complicit, Hagar was merely a pawn in this game of unbelief between Abraham and Sarah. And if there is anyone who could claim to be a victim here, it would be Hagar. She was victimized by Sarah and Abraham. And so she did what seemed reasonable. She ran away. 
a pregnant woman in the wilderness alone. She runs and flees. And it says in verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. By the spring on the way to Shur, he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God had seen her affliction and He took notice of it. And that is the reason that He begins to invoke this blessing upon her. And so as it concludes in verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. This is not a criticism. This is not something out of anxiety or fear. This is coming from a place of comfort that God, You have seen my affliction and You are seeing what I am going through. God being the one who sees while Abraham and Sarah had not given any consideration to Hagar, God saw her. God saw her value. God saw her as a person, not a pawn. He saw her affliction and her pain. God loved her. Just as He sees every mother and every woman He sees your value. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. He sees your afflictions. He sees you as a person. Not as just someone who fills a certain role. He sees you and your value. And He loves you. What is striking in this story is that God saw everything that Abraham and Sarah did not see that they were blinded to. But God sees you. He sees your life and He loves you for it. I love the picture of the virtuous woman in Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs 31 and verse 15. When the virtuous woman, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. God sees that work whenever you get up late at night or you're staying up late and you're preparing dinner for the next day. God sees that. When people see your husband and his success and they praise him, God sees the woman that is behind that. In Proverbs 31 and verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. God sees the woman that is behind the man and his success. When your children cry out and they need you to care for them, God sees you. When your children turn away from faith, they don't believe 
God sees you. Love the description in Luke chapter 7. In Luke, the seventh chapter, when Jesus has come to the village of Nain. And beginning in verse 11, it says, Soon afterwards he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Then notice verse 13. When the Lord saw her, He felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And He came up and touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt and He said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. When Jesus saw the widow of Nain, in her distress and in her pain, he felt compassion. When God sees you in pain or in affliction, he has compassion on you. Some of you may have had to bury your children. Maybe some of you have had miscarriages. God sees you and He feels compassion for the pain and the loss that you've had to endure. When you feel lonely, when you feel as if no one is appreciating you, God does. In the Psalms, in Psalm 25, in Psalm 25 and verse 16, as David writes, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sin. He says, look upon my affliction. When God sees you in pain and your affliction in your life and the things that you are going through, it's not to judge you or to be critical of you. It's done out of love. Because He sees your value. He sees that, he, that you are doing something that is important. And He appreciates you. Just as when Hagar was seen by God and God was noticing and taking notice. That's what the kind of God that He is. When you feel like Hagar, when you feel defeated, when you feel taken for granted or used, take comfort in the fact that you are not going through this experience alone. God sees you. But then in Genesis chapter 16, there's another woman. Sarai, who does become a mother, while in Genesis chapter 16 she is not a mother, she does become one. 
And as we mentioned in Genesis chapter 16, it is not a good moment for Abraham or Sarah. But we've all had those moments where we're not so good. And thankfully, God sees something else in us. God sees our growth, doesn't He? God sees our growth. In chapter 16 of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah, they are demonstrating self-will. They are trying to circumvent God's plan for a substitute plan of their own making and own devising. And things don't immediately get better. Obviously, in chapter 16, it ends with Hagar fleeing and because of her affliction. As you continue on in Genesis chapter 17, God appears to Abram, and He changes His name there to Abraham. He gives him the covenant of circumcision. And in Genesis chapter 17, when God tells Abraham that his wife, Sarah, is going to be the one who bears a son, Abraham laughs at the idea. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He laughs at the idea. Things aren't going any better right here at the moment. In chapter 18, Sarah laughs at the notion herself. In chapter 18, when she is told that she will bear a child, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 9, it says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, the Lord speaking. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you. At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son." And Sarah denied it. Then she begins to lie to God about it. You continue on a couple chapters later in chapter 20 of the book of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah, they have come to Abimelech, the land of the Philistines. And they are seeking safe passage there. And what Abraham and Sarah had done before Earlier in chapter 12, when they had gone to Egypt, they had lied. They had lied about their relationship and their marriage. And Sarah is complicit in the deception. In chapter 20 and verse 5, as Abimelech is, has been prevented from touching Sarah... He's complaining to God, did He not Himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. 
that they both lied. You continue on in verse 13. As Abraham is saying, it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which we will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. This was Abraham's plan, was to lie, to be deceptive, and Sarah was complicit with such a plan. This is not a very flattering picture, is it? But eventually, something begins to click and change over time. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul considers the promise that God had made to Abraham and to Sarah that she would bear a child. And what you see is that they are on a journey while they are going from place to place and living in tents. They are on a spiritual journey from doubt to faith. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, in consideration of this promise, the Apostle Paul says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that God had promised, he was able also to perform. They began to believe in God. And in Genesis chapter 21, we have the birth of Isaac. And it says in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. I think what she's kind of keying in on is about a year before she had been laughing out of mockery. She had been laughing at the promise that God would give her a child, that she would give birth to a child. That laughter was a symbol of doubt in God's ability. But now, laughter becomes something different. Now it becomes a symbol of faith, joy, and fulfillment of God's promise. God sees us in our journey of faith. Just as Sarah was not living up to what she would become. She is mentioned later on in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, as someone who has faith. In Hebrews 11 and verse 11, it says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered Him faithful who had promised. Somewhere along the way, she began to have faith and trust in God. We've all been there, haven't we? Mothers, fathers, men, women. We've all been on this journey, haven't we? Where God could see us at one point in our life and we have been sorely disappointing to God. Where we have sinned. Where we have turned our back against the Lord or we've doubted His promise and His goodness, and then what happens over time? We begin to see 
how He has been there. Another example in Hebrews chapter 11 is Rahab. Rahab the harlot. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. What's interesting about both of these women, Sarah and Hagar, or Sarah and Rahab, excuse me, they are both in the lineage of Jesus. No matter where you are today in your walk of faith, or no matter where you have been, you can become a hero of faith. You can be a hero of faith, and God will see your growth. He will see your progress. As Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, as Paul says, but women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Motherhood gives you an opportunity to express your faith in God. Be thankful for that. And you can become a hero of faith in your own family. You can be an exemplar of what it means to trust in God that can be an example to your children and to your husband as well. God sees your growth. He sees your progress. He doesn't just see your failures. Which brings us to our final point this morning. You think about God seeing... He does see our weaknesses, doesn't He? He sees our failures. You think all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. The very first mother. The mother of all the living. Eve. And how she was the first person to ever be tempted to sin. And she gave in the temptation. She also encouraged her husband to violate God's will. And he sinned. And after Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves in the garden seeking to cover themselves because they realized they were naked. They felt a sense of shame. And God comes and He's looking. It says in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And after God discusses with Adam, He begins to ask Eve what happened. In verse 13, it says, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
God saw the sin. He saw how completely obvious it was that they had sinned. And He curses the serpent. And in verse 15, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. While Satan had deceived the woman and caused her to sin, God saw something in particular with Eve and women more generally that would lead to redemption. He said, it is in woman, in her seed, that there will come one who will destroy the serpent. The curse upon Satan forecasts the destruction of him. There's going to be enmity between the devil and the woman and between Satan's seed and the woman's seed. But the seed of woman would crush and bruise the serpent's head, offering a final death blow. Which came through Jesus. Even though woman had sinned, it was within woman that redemption would come. In Galatians, the fourth chapter, and in verse 4, as Paul is talking about redemption and our adoption through Christ, he says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. That redemption for the world came through woman. It's significant that Jesus was born of a woman, a virgin who had never known a man. And Jesus came to destroy the devil and his works. In the book of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 3, in 1 John chapter 3 and in verse 8, John speaks here and writes, he says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, that, God, that Jesus appeared to destroy the power of Satan and sin and death. And through Jesus and through His resurrection from the dead, He destroyed the power of Satan. The Hebrew writer speaks to this defeat of Satan in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 14, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the saying that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil." That through Jesus' death and through His resurrection, the reversing of that, He defeated death. Parents, mothers, fathers, are going to make mistakes. And you can mentally beat yourself up over making mistakes. Just imagine how Eve must have felt 
Imagine the guilt that she had for the failure and the blunder. Imagine how she must have felt in the very next chapter after Cain killed Abel. I think by the time you get to the end of chapter 4, you can tell that she's looking for any sliver of hope. When she gives birth to Seth, it says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. She's looking for any kind of hope. God sees you, mothers. God sees value in you and your ability to raise children. Your children are a gift and a reward from the Lord. There's no one more qualified to raise and to teach your children than you. There's, no, there's a reason that God gifted your children to you. God has entrusted you as imperfect as you may be. There is a chance for redemption. There's a chance to make things right, to teach and to raise those children in the way that God sees fit. God sees hope for you, maybe even when you cannot see it yourself. God sees redemption. He sees how you can become a part of that story of redemption. God sees you. God sees mothers. And He honors you. And He's a comfort and a strength for you. It is the mother who is not seen or who is ignored who is underappreciated overworked and who is never praised that might be suffering and hurt hurting and you may not receive the praise and the adoration that you deserve all the time But God sees you every day. And may God open our eyes to see the good work that mothers are doing in their families and let us be thankful for them. This morning, this lesson hasn't been designed to teach someone what they must do to become a child of God, but we want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, look to the examples around you. Look within your families. Look at your mothers and your fathers. Look at people of faith who trust in God. Follow in their example. Look to the cross. Jesus gave His life for you and for your sins. And you can come to Him and be forgiven of the sins that you've committed when you've turned against Him, when you've not been living faithfully. You can be redeemed through His blood. You can come into contact with His blood through baptism this morning. 
The water is ready. We're prepared to help you and encourage you in whatever way we can. If you've been unfaithful to the Lord, but you have already become a Christian, then will you not seek His mercy and His forgiveness? If we can help you some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?